0: Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com.
1: Hi, my name is Eli, I play Roman the Fae, and it's good to be here. I'm Jory,
2: I'm playing Kitty the Oracle, and it's good to be here. Hi, my name is Jillian, I play Susan the Hunter, it's good to be here.
3: Hi, my name is Jordan, I'm playing Nox the Tainted, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jesse, I'm your MC.
0: I haven't finished reading all the rules for Urban Shadows, but I'm pretty sure that stands for Mega Cutie. Welcome to Many
4: Realms.
1: Happy birthday dear Knox, happy birthday to you, and many more.
0: The corner booth at the Hummingbird glows with a soft golden light as Midge sets down a cupcake with a birthday candle at your table. Jackson nudges you in the side, come on Knox, make a wish.
3: Uh, I close my eyes, take a deep breath. and I smoothly blow it out.
0: Nice, well done. Great form. Jackson and Nat, your two bandmates, start clapping and whooping as you take a bite of your cupcake, which tastes delicious to your
3: moderately tipsy
0: brain. Nat turns to me and says, what'd you wish for, man?
3: Oh, I mean, that's a secret. I can't tell you that.
0: All right, okay. Keep your secrets then. The three of you are celebrating your birthday at the Hummingbird, which is your favorite uh, jazz bar, one of the best kind of hidden gem jazz bars in all of the Fairside neighborhood of the city of Lakeshore. It's a brisk, cool spring night, maybe like a Saturday, and uh, you are here to celebrate, have a couple of drinks, and see uh, the lineup, who's performing, as you so often do. Mm-hmm. Knox, can we get a bit of a visual description of your character as he sits here eating his little birthday cupcake?
3: Yes, yes, we can we'll learn later what he may look like on a bad day but on a good day uh, Knox has some lovely silky white hair he he dresses pretty proper the jazz band in general along with Nat and Jackson they kind of have you know their three piece three piece suit is kind of par for the course maybe sometimes one, one piece for
0: each member of <laughs> yes, the band yes, Knox yes. gets the shirt most days <laughs> thankfully
3: yeah. but uh, he always has his bolo tie too uh, some days special event maybe a birthday a bow tie instead of a bolo tie sometimes the type of guy that wears sunglasses indoors uh so
1: douchebag you know <laughs> uh,
3: okay jordan's just trying to get <laughs> kind of <vulnerable> with of <laughs> right now so and really like sad. share
0: like he's trying to share so maybe you could just
3: <laughs> um hair about uh, it's longest down to about like his jawline Oh, it's like long and floppy? I pictured it very like up. It's, it's an undercut, of course. Uh, okay. And it's shaved on one side and the other side, but he pretty much flops it all to the left. So you can't really see the undercut on the left, but it's all, it's all flopped over. Kind of like uh, a Draco Malfoy, but undercut and white. Lesbian Draco <laughs> Malfoy
0: is kind of what I would classify this as. That's fantastic are you happy to be celebrating your
3: birthday with jackson and Nat, your bandmates the face that he's showing when he is is to be oh no i don't make a big deal of this guys but at the end of the day when he goes home he's very appreciative of of this and i think that nat and jackson would be uh, acutely aware of that uh, which is probably why they decided to make the song and dance so you
0: are enjoying yourself then uh, mildly chatting eating your dinner having a couple drinks Eventually, you begin to hear some lovely music, which is why you came to the Hummingbird. You are a musician, after all. Mm -hmm. You were in conversation with Nat and Jackson, so you didn't quite catch the introduction to this performer. But you see a woman step out on stage and sit down at a piano bench. She is tall, uh, sinewy. She's wearing a long dress in a deep, kind of midnight blue velvet. She has dark skin and a big afro and she begins to stretch and uh, tickle the ivories on the grand piano on the stage of The Hummingbird. And does even that sound like it's you know? She's very talented. It's quite lovely. It catches your attention. The Hummingbird, of course, is the place to see up-and-coming acts in Fairside that will eventually dominate Lakeshore's music scene, and this seems to be a uh, promising talent. She's strikingly beautiful, her dress is sleeveless, you can see her bare arms drinking up the spotlight on stage while her face is kind of downturn and cast in shadow as she plays, and as her music builds to a staggering crescendo, you swear that she turns to you and gives you a wink, Nox. Before you can be sure, she completes her piece, she stands, she gives a short bow, and she walks off the stage to thunderous applause.
3: Nat and Jackson we'll turn to them, What's uh, what am I seeing on their face? Are they equally impressed or am I alone in this? Uh... <laughs> They're both very much impressed. Nat is uh, whistling.
0: Jackson is your pianist, so he really recognizes uh, a great piano player when he sees one. Mm. And he's kind of coolly leaning back and clapping and nodding, and he looks very, like, introspective and lost in thought. Mm.
3: Yeah. That's why I love him. Um, (laughs) Do we know the name of this person? Did she at all announce She she was announced, but you weren't paying close attention because you were
0: kind of caught up in your birthday celebration. So selfish.
3: Yeah. I'm here. I'm here with the band right now. But uh, I mean, that's certainly something I'm going to remember. Yeah. Unforgettable.
0: Uh, Unless you have any other major business of the hummingbird, I'd like to kind of fast forward to uh, the end of the night for you. Nat and Jackson want to call it pretty early because they have to work their day jobs tomorrow.
3: Yeah, guys, that's cool. Uh, I'm going to hang around here for a little bit more, I think.
0: Okay, happy birthday, man. Thanks.
3: What are you doing here by yourself, you loser? I assume I know the bartender or bartendress is his name. Midge pretty much runs the place herself. She has a couple of extra staff right. on busy
0: nights, but it's it's a pretty small club overall.
3: Okay, uh, I saw it with Midge. Hey, uh, Midge. Uh, yeah, sweetie, how can I help you? Is it busy? No. Or is it so, like dead? I'm
0: okay. How are you? Okay. So I can talk. Are you talking to me? You're talking to the to the god above. Are you talking <laughs> was, to me? I was talking to the god for a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a religious lady, but I don't want to
3: get between a man and his prayers. Hey, uh, <laughs> uh, hey, Mitch. That little lady earlier this night uh, didn't quite catch your name. I was a little too busy being I don't know if you know this birthday boy today so
0: (laughs) I did I did give you your cupcake I do remember what was your name oh uh oh let me check the uh the little um um yeah the program hold on yeah you do that she ducks behind the counter and she comes back up and she frowns as she holds a uh a sodden sheet of paper that someone has spilled a drink all over and she says oh I don't know if I can make all of it out it's um definitely starts with an h for sure I want to say Hannah, like a Hannah. I'm not 100% though, darling.
3: You know what H will do? Uh, I'll take that for now. Is she going to be a reg here or... Oh, you know, I don't know. She was
0: booked pretty last minute. I think she mm. was replacing somebody. Honestly, I've just been, I've been doing so much work here, getting the lineup all set up that I really didn't pay much attention. She was, she was good though, right? She was good. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the patrons certainly seem to think so. Anyway, here, listen, Midja, uh, thanks for your help, but uh, I think we're going to hit the old dusty trail. I'll see you around. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You too. Have a good night. And you're going to head home, I guess? Yeah. I'll uh, hijack that as an opportunity to describe the uh, sights and sounds as you leave the Hummingbird and head down the road. You're walking through the Fairside neighborhood. This is sort of Lakeshore's home for dreamers, artists, poets, musicians. It's kind of ramshackle, a little bit beat up, but very colorful, very uh, handmade. There's a tight sense of community here and there's always a lot of noise and light and spectacle happening because the people here are so sort of zealous for life and their own creative pursuits. So you pass by, you know, street buskers and kids who are staying out late playing games, outdoor cafe patios until you make your way to uh, your apartment, which I believe you said is on the like second floor, it's above a cafe. Oh, yeah. You head into this cafe, and you start to feel the couple of drinks you have catch up with you a little bit. Like, you were a little bit tipsy as you left the bar, and you're stumbling, like, a bit more as you enter this cafe, which is just kind of closing up for the night. The owner has got the radio blasting as she's wiping down the tabletops, and she uh, gives you uh, a cheery wave
3: as you kind of head in. and towards... is it like a happy birthday wave, or...? Does she know it's your birthday? Yeah. Well, I feel like... I hope so, but maybe I'm disgruntled cause clearly doesn't know on my birthday and I'll have to bring that up later and it'll be awkward. She
0: doesn't seem, it seems like a, a wave with the normal amount of energy in it.
3: Okay, noted. Uh, Nox will remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: okay. Uh, and you head up to your room. I do. All right, inside your
3: room- There are puppies.
0: Uh, <laughs> you're actually not wrong. Yes. There is a a dog-like creature. It's, It's sort of like an oversized quadrupedal creature. Unlike typical kind of domestic dogs, it has the head of a frog and a tail that's kind of arching and barbed like a scorpion so in many ways unlike a dog or a puppy it is kind of crammed to the corner of your room paws up on your dressing table and at its feet like it has brought you uh, like a dead bird
3: or something to celebrate is the corpse of a man nox sits there stunned am i at the door you've just walked through the door i try and go back out the door slowly you find the handle locked okay and the creature starts to speak gross Lawrence Anderson that's you what what the
0: time has come to repay your debt. your soul is forfeit until I decide you have earned your freedom
3: Uh, nox immediately knows like that kind of just connects all the dots from a creepy what the fuck's going on to like a oh this is what's going on. Mm
0: -hmm. What is going on also
3: for the the folks at home? So the thing with the Tainted is they are someone that owes a demon a favor, a, a, a debt, because they basically sold their soul or saved their life in exchange for their soul so that they can continue to exist in the mortal realm, as it were. That's uh, largely,
0: we don't have to get into like the deep specific yes. character backstory yet, but we can say this is your demonic patron Yes, who is coming to collect on the debt that you owe them for saving your soul.
3: Yes, which I've owed for a number of years.
0: Your first duty begins now. Dispose of this body so none may come across it. No later than midnight.
3: Uh, Nox is just in stunned understanding silence right now. The frog-dog-scorpion creature looks at you dead in the eyes and says, LAXES HAS
0: SPOKEN And it disappears in a huge cloud of kind of sulfuric-smelling smoke. Near the middle of Fairmont Park stands a large, homey-looking building. Wooden stairs lead up to a porch that runs around the perimeter of the building offering a beautiful view of the surrounding woods. This is the headquarters of the Fairmont Park Naturalist Society, an organization dedicated to the preservation and stewardship of Lakeshore's public jewel. Inside, the society meets in a room used on the weekends for children's programs. On the walls are posters of different kinds of trees and birds that can be found in the park and children's drawings. A slide projector on the big central table displays images of photographs taken around the park in recent weeks. And at the front of the room, a woman addresses the group. Let's get a a visual first on Susan.
2: Susan is a woman in her 30s. She has kind of sandy colored hair. She's British which is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's tall and slender and secretly jacked.
0: Alright, I love that. What do you have to say to these fellow naturalists, Susan?
2: Thank you all for coming to this week's meeting. Uh, We have some very pressing business to go over, so I don't want to delay. The, the most pressing piece, of course, is the increased undesirable presence in Fairmont Park. Grace has an analysis based on her tracking data.
0: Yes, yes, i've um I've been uh, collecting all the data points from. Uh, the sightings that we have recounted both within the society and uh, uh, Gleaned through public research and I've been able to conclude that um, There's been about a 300% increase of activity in the past four months uh, Primarily concentrated along the eastern edge of the park facing into Fairside
2: 300% that's quite alarming now There's also been an increase in violent behavior We we have some statistics regarding large animal death, damage to park buildings, and a spike in missing persons cases in the neighborhood, three in the past two months. Additionally, the public is becoming increasingly aware of this. There was an article in The Lighthouse uh, related to gang activity, there was a letter sent to Joan regarding talk of coyotes or bears, and city council minutes have been recovered discussing curfew as a, a potential. So I think we have some strategies to go over to address these things. I would like Juliette to lead an archival research project. Grace, please do continue your map analysis. And Joan, Nancy, you will be patrolling with me regularly. The Naturalist Society was a pre-existing actual naturalist society that Susan revived when she arrived in the town of Lakeshore and has kind of hijacked it for her personal project, which is demon hunting. So I guess demons were calling undesirable.
0: At least on like <laughs> At least publicly on accessible minutes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So she's rallied the neighborhood ladies when they're not bird watching they're Hunting demons.
0: Mostly they are kind of assisting you in sort of other strategies. Like they're not necessarily directly fighting demons alongside you, but they're doing things like collecting data, doing research, and trying to help you get a, a accurate picture of what needs to be done and where. So you're going to take Joan and Nancy out tonight. Nancy's a woman in her 40s. She is really keen to help you, but she's very kind of clumsy and awkward. You've been trying to keep her on small jobs as much as possible, but as the increased threat level has gotten everyone on edge, she's more and more been pressing you to come along on your patrols and help out with the hunt, but you're not quite sure how helpful she will be. Joan is uh, younger. She's early 20s. You kind of get the feeling that she reminds you of like a younger you. She's very fierce. She's very determined. She's got her head on straight. And she's the one that you are most comfortable actually taking along with you. You've seen her handle a couple of basic weapons, and she seems to be doing pretty well for herself. What does getting kind of prepped look like for you?
2: Susan is always carrying her weapons on her somehow.
0: And Um, the, the hunter is all about having, like, really kind of cool custom weapons also.
2: Exactly. So she's got her big gun and her little gun and her trusty knife always. So... I think it's a matter of strapping all that on. I don't know if the if Nancy and Joan would, would take weapons with them as well. Yeah. Does
4: she have a cool ankle strap where she hides stuff? Like, does she... Is I it, think it's a thigh holster. It's a thigh holster. You did... Yeah.
0: I, uh, control F thigh holster. You did send me that last <laughs> night.
4: I did. The reasoning
2: being, it's sexy. Nancy, I
0: think... Mm, don't know about weapons. Joan, again, you could see her wielding something like relatively competent. Maybe she has like another small gun or like a knife or something like that. But you kind of have a sense that she can hold around. She is unmarried. She's a single gal in the city and it seems like she's no stranger to um, some of Lakeshore's more esoteric nightlife.
2: So we, we gear up, take our binoculars because who knows maybe we're doing the owl prowl.
0: If anyone asks, you're just prowling for owls.
2: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but really, we're scoping out the demons.
0: Cool. Okay. We are going to cut to the Views of Fairside Gala, uh, which is happening tonight in the gallery space above the Insomnia Cafe. Set up all around the room are stations with different art pieces of paintings, of sculpture, of photography, of poetry. That have been produced by the community of Fairside and have been collected and curated by the, uh, like, Friends of Lakeshore Art. Blah, 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 blah. And they've, they've set up this charity gala to collect funds for, I don't know, puppies that don't have uh, little tied up bits of rope they can play tug of war with. It's very sad. It's, uh, yeah. (laughs) Jory and Eli are like, no, we have to get those puppies tied up bits of rope. I shot her at the (laughs) thought. So all around the room are clinking glasses, the sound of polite urbane chatter, rich people discussing the art that poor people make to impress them and get just a little bit of money so they can keep making art. And in the center of the room is Kitty Yanakis. Kitty, can we get a visual, especially on such like a fancy gala night like this? What might you be wearing?
4: Well, she's wearing a designer dress. Kitty is average height, uh, half Asian, half white lady with very... Short cropped hair, this is her event. She's been planning this for months and months and months. She is the chair of the Friends of Lakeside Abloom Society. She probably knows what it's called.
0: She probably knows the whole uh, organization name, but we don't care.
4: <laughs> she is confident. She is standing tall, probably doing a great job of working the room, talking to the important people, talking up the artists. She. Definitely has an air of confidence and grace to her. Yeah, confidence and grace, two things I do not have. But we're gonna, that's role playing.
0: Role playing is when you pretend to be a person who can accomplish tasks. <laughs> <laughs>
4: i role play all the time <laughs>
0: yo who's your job sona <laughs> great 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 okay um so you are working the room with this gala you are rubbing elbows until they say kitty please stop rubbing my elbow and ruth walks up to you ruth of course is the treasurer of the lakeside friends of art making and she naturally is your nemesis. She's been out for this position for years and years, and she was furious when you were given the opportunity to plan this year's Views of Fairside Gala. She walks up to you in a beautifully cut Vera McQueen red cocktail dress, plunging neckline, and she says, Darling, I really hate to step on your toes like this, but um, we've been out of hors d'oeuvres for 15 minutes now, and I thought you might like to know.
4: Oh, I'm already aware of the issue. The waitstaff is going to bring out the next round in... Oh, just about now.
0: And, like, on cue, the door bursts open. They're bringing more canapes. There's an additional bucket of, like, champagne brought out and set down. And everyone's like, oh, thank God. I was so worried for a second. And Ruth, the corners of her mouth, upturn in a grim little smile. Very well done, Kitty. I must congratulate you on the magnitude of this event. And it seems you've put in quite a lot of research in collecting a diverse array of artistic expressions. It's really quite something. She's on the attack and she turns and she flings her finger at one of the displays of photography on the wall. Tell me about this one again, won't you? There's a wall of photographs here that are some black and white stills mostly taken in Fairmont Park. One kind of issue is that they were submitted anonymously So you don't know much about the artist, so you might have to, like, interpret this a little bit. You definitely remember that you wanted to include it. It it spoke to you at a time when you were jurying the submissions and, and going through things. But now it's just one of, like, 150 different exhibits here. And you're looking at these photographs that show kind of eerie, calm compositions of the interior of the forest and trying to think of something to say to impress Ruth, who's standing there and holding out her champagne flute for it to be filled by a garçon.
4: Well, Ruth, this work is by an anonymous donor.
0: I read the plaque.
4: But I think that it says something about the work that the artist wants to stay anonymous because the park exists for us to go during the day with our families and our children. We don't often walk through the woods as, you know, city folk. We don't engage with nature at night when maybe it's a little more dangerous, a little more scary. (laughs)
0: Are you scared of Fairmont Park?
4: Not per se, but there's something to wilderness in general. And maybe the juxtaposition between the wilderness and our urban life.
0: Terribly interesting. Mm, Yes. How much for that one? And she points to one of the pictures in the composition. You take a look at this picture, Kitty, and um, you freeze in your tracks. It looks like all of the other pictures in this uh, little collection. You see a dark moonlit copse in the middle of the woods. There is a large boulder that's like kind of glinting in the moonlight. But as you look at it and look closer and lean in, you feel a little bit entranced by the photo. In your nostrils, you can smell lavender and thyme, these kinds of woodsy fragrances. Suddenly, you find yourself transported, and you can see yourself standing in this field. You can't see yourself, but you feel like you're there, like you're in VR, and it's all around you. From a dense cluster of trees, you can see four tiny figures flying out. At first, you think they must be... Bats, or something like that. But as they get closer, they're they're bigger. They're misshapen. They have uh, gnarled, long, human-like fingers that end with wicked black nails. And they fly over your head and soar up across the treetops. You turn and you can see them charge into the Fairside neighborhood where you remember that you yourself are standing. You watch as they whirl above the roofs and down through the alleys and then suddenly you're inside the gallery and you can see them smash through the windows to tear down all of the art inside to start terrorizing the people with their high chittering voices and long sharp claws they're swooping down to scratch people's heads and shoving them over wrecking the room and totally ruining the gala and then suddenly you snap back and you turn to see ruth staring at you with curiosity and maybe a little bit of triumph in her eyes as you've sort of spaced out staring at this photograph for 30 seconds when she asked you a very simple question.
4: I'm sorry, Ruth, this one's already been sold.
0: Oh, that's a shame. You should put a sticker on it then.
4: Of course. So I recognize that as a vision. Yes of something, as something that will happen in the future.
0: You are an oracle who has visions of the future, yes, and that oracle boy would. was one of them.
4: What I haven't done is my oracle move that I'm supposed to do at the beginning of every session, mm-hmm. which is roll four tellings. At the beginning of the session, roll a spirit. On a 10 plus, hold two. On a seven to nine, hold one. During the session, you can spend your hold to declare that something terrible is about to happen. You and your allies take plus one ongoing to avoid the impending disaster so that is a seven so i get one hold
0: yeah and i think that normally would be like at the top of the session for everyone but to kind of in the sense of this like audio drama we'll play with like when exactly the visions happen i was
4: thinking what i might do is just do that beforehand and then
0: to do the roll yeah cool okay well this is a, a vision you've had of something terrible happening and you have now one hold
4: yeah I have to one try hold to prevent it. yeah so this event has a kitchen
0: Mm-hmm. of course Where is this going? Oh, oh my goodness. Why do you want to go to the kitchen?
4: (laughs) I'm going to go into the kitchen where they're cooking, and I'm going to try, when nobody's looking, Uh huh. maybe put a hand towel and a little bit of alcohol and set it on fire and get people (laughs) (laughs) out of here. Just a little fire. Just a little fire. Put it in the trash can. Just fill it up with smoke.
0: Holy shit!
4: <laughs> just a little light Molotov cocktail. Only of, I only want—I just want smoke. I don't want to burn because I want to protect the art, but I want it to—I want the people safe.
0: I don't think you need to roll for this. You're in charge of this event. There's no reason why you can't go in the kitchen and set
3: shit on fire. Oh
0: yeah, the setting shit <laughs> on fire is a little bit tricky. I would maybe argue that I would ask you to roll mislead, distract, or trick. To see if you can find an opportunity to do this without everyone being like, hey, that woman's a pyromaniac. <laughs> or is this art? They might wonder. Is this for sale? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to roll with uh, spirit. Just kidding. You're going to roll with mind.
4: I have that too.
0: You <laughs> have a mind.
4: Six, Seven.
0: Okay, on a seven to nine, pick two. You create an opportunity, you expose a weakness or flaw, you confuse them for some time, or you avoid further entanglement.
4: I'm going to create an opportunity Mm -hmm. and probably confuse them for some time.
0: Okay, so I think you take this small metal wastebasket that's now uh, smoldering with fire and uh, towel fibers, and I think you do a good job of placing it out of the way. Maybe, like behind like a a countertop piece so that if they see smoke, the first thing they're gonna check is the ovens and the stoves and it's gonna take them a couple minutes before they realize the smoke is coming from somewhere else. And then you, what, head back to the main gala space?
4: I head out back to the main gala space. Are there, this is pre-fire alarm. Like, do it just- I think there's no fire alarm.
0: There's like a pull bell that if someone sees a fire they can pull.
4: I'm sorry, everybody, we have seen a little bit of a fire in the kitchen, so let's all get out to safety. We'll come in if the problem is solved, and hopefully it'll be solved promptly. Thank you. Thank you for your cooperation.
0: Great. This is uh, fantastic. Ruth looks triumphant as your event has been sullied by a fire. (laughs) Eli hates Ruth.
1: I hate Ruth. (laughs) Uh,
0: And everyone starts to file out of the building in an orderly fashion. Let's cut to a dark room in the back of Jim Stevens' uh, handyman services general store. He's just like a dude who has a dark room in his building. And inside a dark room, a young woman is developing photographs. Can we get a visual on Roman?
1: Yeah. She has very short, like a pixie cut of raven black hair. She's got like aggressive freckles. She is also half Asian and half white. She's pretty female leaning in her face but she uh, mostly wears men's clothes. She is developing her photos. I think there there are other dark rooms in the city but she's at this one because this is kind of like a more of a down-low hobby and you know she's not sure if she's good enough yet to show other people.
0: You just, well, you described Jim also as being kind of like a mentor for you a little bit. So I think he's like just kind of like very chill and like letting you use the space kind of whenever you want. So you're developing these photos. If you've never developed photos before, I'm about to describe it, so get ready. You take the negatives out and place them in the enlarging head. You take a good look and focus them. You flash them onto the photo paper. You do your favorite part, which is dunking them in the developer and then the fixer and then the stop, uh, letting them rinse off and clipping them up on a clothesline to see how they have turned out. I wanna highlight three pictures of this batch of film. One is a picture of your friend and roommate, Alan who you live with along with several other artists in a big ramshackle boarding house in the Fairside neighborhood. This picture is important to you because it's the last picture you have of Alan. He's been missing for a couple of weeks now. The cops aren't really interested in finding him. He doesn't have much of a family. He is uh, a werewolf, which has caused a lot of problems for him. So you're not quite sure if that has something to do with his disappearance. He was last seen around the park and this picture kind of fills you with a twinge of melancholy. You also have a picture of a woman who is standing at the front of a parade float that is bedecked with hundreds of paper flowers. She is wearing a long, flowing white dress. She has a long, blonde braid and striking blue eyes. It is a black and white photo, but you know what colors the things are in them. This is Ileana, who is the self-appointed Fey monarch of Fairside. Um, she is... This traditionalist who loves the customs and practices of the Fae homeworld of Arcadia. And in Fairside, she has decided that she will enforce those practices and unite all of the Fae creatures of the area under her control. And this is her picture that you kind of sneakily... Really Sneakily. (laughs) Sneakily. This is a photo that you took secretly of Ileana because she doesn't approve of your hobby. You were standing in the crowd at this sort of spring parade, and you snapped a quick shot of her in all of her beautiful glory standing on the front of this parade float. The third photo is just another one of your forest compositions that you do pretty regularly. You submitted a batch recently and were excited they were accepted to the Views of Fairside Gala, but... Because they were submitted anonymously, you're a little uncomfortable going there and seeing how they were received. But this is the next in that series. And you noticed when you blew it up a detail that you hadn't spotted before, which is a man looks to be in his 50s wearing a suit, close-cropped gray hair. He's standing by the pond in Fairmont Park, and he's holding a kind of weird contraption. He's carrying something that looks like a big concave dish that has an antenna in it, and it's connected with a cord to a little box that he is holding with his other hand. You didn't realize he was in the background of the picture when you took it, only when you developed it have you seen him with this like really peculiar object standing between the pond and the maintenance shed in the top kind of northeast corner of the park. It's not like shocking or anything, but you didn't notice it and it's kind of weird. You're not sure if you like that it adds to the picture or not. You finish developing the roll of pictures, and you head back out to the front of Jim Stevens' shop. He is a tall, rail-thin man in his sixties with little pince-nez glasses perched on his nose, and he says, "Hey, kiddo, how'd they turn out?"
1: "Good, I think. If you want to take a look soon, I think I'm getting a little better. I, I actually had a question for you."
0: "Uh, yeah. What's that?"
1: "Do you mind coming and taking a look in- at the photos?"
0: Uh, uh, of course. Let me just, he puts up a sign that says back whenever on the shop counter and he trundles off into the dark room with you. What's it you want to look-see at?
1: This. And I point to the guy in the background and I don't know what this technology is.
0: Jim Stevens seems flummoxed too. He peers at it through his tiny little spectacles and he says, well, that's mighty peculiar, isn't it? What do you think? What do you think he's doing?
1: Um, what What is he do Like, is he just holding it up? This, like, strange contraption?
0: Yeah, I can describe to you as the players, it looks almost like he's surveying or measuring something. What is, like, an object that you would be familiar with that, like, kind of looks similar to this?
1: I don't know. I think maybe it's, like, a weapon.
0: Oh, geez, I, I sure hope not. We Last thing we need in Fairmont Parks, some guy running around with a crazy super weapon. It's like something out of a funny book.
1: Hmm, Okay. I didn't really expect that Jim would be able to tell me anything. I thank him anyway. Yeah. Tell me if you, uh I don't know, if you see one of these down the line.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled. But um I thought you said you'd best be getting along by uh, 1030. Weren't you meeting someone? Oh, shit. Yeah, you are due to meet Ileana at the hardware store about 10 minutes ago.
1: Uh, okay. I obviously can't take this stuff with me because Ileana going to ask about it. Jim, I'm so I'm sorry. Do you mind if I just leave this stuff here with you?
0: Yeah, that's fine. I'll uh, hang on to him at the front desk.
1: And I run and I leave to the hardware store, which is a
3: bar.
0: Of course. Let's jump back to Knox. You've had a little bit of time to formulate yep. a plan
3: for your cool crime you're about to do. Oh, yeah, it's a crime. <laughs> uh, so it's such a crime. Wait, is it...
4: Is it is it a crime? Do you think? Yes. You no, know,
3: you said that the best place to dump it was where again? Sorry. You just like off the top of your head. If you're like hide
0: something somewhere, gigantic park just seems like yep. the best. Yeah. Uh, not Get into like specific points.
3: So what Knox is going to do mostly because this whole demon whole that whole ordeal uh, is something that he's not willing and hasn't shared with really anybody except perhaps we haven't come to yet this confidant so he's going to take this solo and he's going to take up said demon form let me just that's a tainted move i believe when you assume your demon form roll with blood okay eight
0: so on a seven to nine choose one of the following abilities you can gain armor plus one which obvious uh heal to harm inflict uh an additional harm Demonic weapons or demonic movement. Oh my god, flight, flaming, motorcycle, etc. If you're working a job for your patron, which you most definitely are, choose one more. It'll be demonic
3: movement and I suppose armor. And then I'll 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 take flight. Sure. I'll take flight. I'll sprout some some lovely leathery gross wings. Dope. I'm assuming that in this form I can lift a body easy enough. I'll describe my demon form now. When Nox takes on said demon form, his head grows spikes. Gross. His hands become bone-like claws, just like as if the actual bones themselves get, like, stretched out. So perhaps they're kind of thin-looking, as if the bones that were already there, though they grow in size, are just, like, being elongated. Natch. Yeah most of the times he doesn't have wings but in this particular instance because he's growing wings for flight he has leathery gross wings is his... this also is this the first time nox is transforming in this way no i believe that he's done it in like kind of controlled environments like something that like once like how he... do i shot web spider yes Man. yes yeah. yes his skin becomes rock like and his he gets smoky eyes okay only
0: someone who knew you personally very well, knew you could turn into a demon, and examined that demon form very well, could possibly establish a connection between yes. the two Noxies.
3: Now, though those eyes are smoky and cloudy, his is that vision, His vision is not, and his vision is focused on getting rid of this body before him. Um, Can I get a description of the body? The body is a man in his 50s in
0: a dark suit. It's not hard to figure out what happened to him. Bullet holes steeped in dark, sticky blood pattern his torso like freckles. One additional misfortune has been visited upon him. His left hand has been neatly cut off below the wrist and is nowhere to be found in your room. Do I recognize them?
3: No. Do I recognize anything about the outfit or is it just a regular run of the mill looking suit? Got it at Preston's.
0: Okay, uh, I guess I'll check pockets. The body contains a couple of cigarettes. Uh, money clip with 30 bucks, not bad. Pocket that. And an unmarked key on a little black vinyl key tag.
3: I put the key in my sock drawer. If I can pick them up easy enough, I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to go out the window and I'm going to fly to the park. Sorry, I, I do want to try and actually get into the alley, clear the cafe so that, that that last connection of, hey, I think I saw something weird come from the cafe, mm-hmm. try and get away from that. Yeah.
0: You you do put a good dimension between yourself and the cafe before you take flight carrying this body. I think on any normal night, you would be pretty much scot-free. Not many people are watching the stars in Fairside. They're looking into their own mugs or into the eyes of the cutie across the cafe table with them. Unfortunately, in the space between your apartment and Fairmont Park, you are surprised to see a crowd of about 100 people just milling about on the sidewalk in front of a random cafe. Unfortunately, phones haven't been invented yet, so they have nothing to look at. One of them is like wooden carving fidget spinner (laughs) and another one looks up into the sky at just the wrong moment and screams as they see like a horrible gargoyle man swooping above carrying some dark form in its arms they can't necessarily do anything about it and you can still land in the park totally fine but you've been seen that's fine i don't care okay (laughs) what's your plan for this bodacious body it's just normal i don't know why i said
3: that i get to the, the park I'm assuming there is maybe perhaps a section that's off the beaten path a little bit more uh, yeah. conspicuous. Uh, I'll go there and with my long spindly bone claws I'll just dig. Uh Susan, do
0: you do you want to talk about like patrol? What is patrol like? I can talk about it if you don't want to.
2: Like I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Correct. I have a leather jacket. <laughs> I'm wandering through Fairmont Park. We have an established like perimeter to check. Mm-hmm. We know the hot spots.
0: Okay, yeah, you're with Joan and Nancy. Joan is wearing like a similar leather jacket, black trousers, a little bit of give, boots like a dark blouse tucked in, her hair pulled back. Nancy is wearing a pink rayon sweater that has a kitten embroidered on the front. (laughs) She's like, we're doing this. And you guys are on patrol for demons. So I guess if you were kind of operating under Grace's map data, you would be heading kind of up the eastern side. Susan, as you are making your way up the eastern side, kind of off the main walking trail, but in some of the more hiking path kind of areas, you hear a noise up ahead. You hear high keening chattering in a demonic language. I would say it's possible that you've heard sounds like this before. You've been hunting demons in Fairmont Park for a good amount of time. These are the sounds of imps, which are, as the name implies, like pretty low level on the demonic threat scale. It's not a good sign that there are multiple of them in conversation. One on its own can be like a pest and can maybe terrorize a few picnickers. 3 or 4 can do a decent amount of damage if they put their minds to it, although their minds are quite um they're dumb. You what? Like shoot out a hand signal?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's like the stop like point we, I think we have to jump on them if we just start shooting then they won't be a problem kind of thing
0: okay I think Nancy probably doesn't have a gun does Joan have a gun? yes okay Nancy's like <gasps> okay I'm sorry
2: Nancy no we must be silent
0: yes I understand what should we what should we do?
2: well the demons have to die
0: oh, Ah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah yeah okay okay so I'm going to remain calm I'm going to shoot to kill and that's that. That's the plan. That's the whole plan.
0: What should I do? I don't, have, I don't have a gun.
2: That's all right, Nancy. You're here for moral support.
0: Oh. Okay. All right. You and Joan creep up. I think that you are unleashing an attack. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So why don't you roll with blood?
2: Ooh, heck yeah. That's 13.
0: Oh, damn. Yeah, on a hit, you inflict terrible harm or you take something from them. Inflicting terrible harm would be like an additional level of harm delivered to this group of imps.
2: Yeah, I mean, my rifle's pretty powerful already, but I want this problem to go away before it is a problem for other people. So we're going to inflict terrible harm. Yeah,
0: so how much harm does your, like, rifle? I think it's a rifle deal.
2: Does three harm regularly, so four if it's terrible.
0: Damn, okay. Four harm is like killer, especially for little demons like this. His Uh, gun is
2: very loud, though.
0: I think you get low and approach the cluster of imps. You cock the rifle and as quick as you can get a shot off that tears through the cluster of imps pretty brutally. Um, Three of the four of them are instantly dropped and the other one uh, sustains a huge hole through one of its wings as it screams in fear and terror as its entire clan is just immediately erased from their sinful spot on this beautiful earth. And it flutters with the other wing and tries to flee through the opposite end of the clearing. Great shot, Thuthen.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Nancy.
0: What do we do now?
2: Have they stopped being a problem, or is there still one left?
0: There's one that's like actively uh, fleeing you.
2: My instinct is to track it.
0: Yeah, okay. You are going to track it northward. Kitty, you are giving an impromptu lecture on, like, some art topic to try to placate the crowd that's milling about outside of the gala. Ruth has taken a bottle of champagne from the room with her and is hiding it behind her back and just taking swigs as she watches this uh, event fall to pieces and you're trying to explain how developments in photographic technology have really transformed the work you do at the Lakeside Society for Badoo. Then you hear a scream and one of the guests points overhead and out of the corner of your eye, you see a swooping, dark, gigantic bat-like figure dive over the roofs of Fairside and into Fairmont Park. The crowd immediately breaks into agitated conversation and whispers. Ruth comes forward to you. She leaves the, b- <laughs> the bottle on the sidewalk like someone else left it. And she saunters up and she's like, Kitty, are you sure it's safe to be out here? I wonder if the boogeyman of Fairmont Park has his eyes on us.
4: <laughs> Ruth, to run an event like this, you need a little more imagination. Before we head back inside, I'll take this opportunity to thank all of you. Thank you for coming and supporting friends of (laughs) Lakeshore. We would not be able to throw events like this without you, even if they go a little awry. Of course, there's no accounting for little surprises along the way, but we should be about good to head back in in just a few minutes. There'll be more drinks, there'll be more art. I think a few paintings are still up for grabs, although it has been a very successful night. I heard from the firemen, nothing has been damaged in the location.
0: I think that you are misleading, distracting, or tricking again as you're trying to calm down this crowd.
4: All right, that's not great. That's five.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, this crowd is not just going to let your platitudes calm them down. Someone claims they saw the creature, too. And um, the the tone is spreading. And some of the people you can hear are talking about dispersing, heading home. Did you see that? What's going on here? Maybe it's not worth waiting around. Uh, I'll get coat checked tomorrow. This is starting to go up in flames a little bit. What well, already, but additionally. And uh, I'm going to even kind of push this move harder. And I'm going to say Ruth saunters in front of you and stretches her long, beautiful arms out over the crowd and says, ladies and gentlemen, clearly it is not safe out tonight. It's possible that there are wild animals on the loose. So I think it would be best if we perhaps, and she uh, puts a hand on your arm delicately, if we adjourn for the evening so everyone can return to the safety and comfort of their homes. Thank you so much for your time and efforts here and look forward to next year's gala, which I hope will be just a little less eventful. And um, yeah, the crowd is listening to her. People are starting to leave.
4: All right. So in which case I'm quite upset. People are leaving. I want to go back in and investigate.
0: Okay. Long after the group clears and Ruth has called a taxi and flipped you off from inside or whatever, you get the okay from the waitstaff that you can go back in and you guess start cleaning up. And you head back inside into this empty gala space with uh, art hanging from the walls. I want to jump to Roman real quick. You get to the hardware store, which is a bar in Fairside that is Ileana's like real home base. It's where the majority of the Fae of Fairside and even the rest of the city like to congregate and celebrate their wild witchy ways. And she is the queen of it all. The hardware store used to be a hardware store, which is why it's called that. And one of the main artifacts of its previous incarnation are these large metal catwalks around the top of the building that Ileana has left in and turned into sort of cool balcony seating over the dance floor in the center of the main floor. She is sitting at her favorite table. She has her uh, bewitched mortal plaything, Elliot Darcy, kind of lolling in the booth and doodling on the napkin. As you approach and bow to her, she seems to be in very high spirits. She gestures for you to come forward and she speaks to you in hushed, excited tones.
1: Roman, darling, how are you? Ileana, it's, as always, dazzling to see you.
0: Tell me, Roman, can you feel it?
1: What is it tonight that we're feeling, Ileana?
0: Can't you feel the power in the air? There's something going on, I can't describe it. The magic, it feels more real. You can't feel it?
1: I do, I do feel it. It's electric.
0: Yes, well, I hate electricity. (laughs) That's my whole thing, but sure, your words. No, she just like frowns when you say electric. She says, yes. Now listen, darling, dearest, I have two very important favors to ask of you tonight. Anything. The first, um, I think you might already know, it's been a couple of weeks and I'm getting a little bit low on sunshine. Sunshine is the stimulant drug that you uh, procure for her on like around monthly bases for her to use in her kind of drunken revelries. And my second thing, dearest... I think it's time. It's time for my grand plan to come to fruition. For the past year or so, at least as long as you've known Iliana, one of her grand ambitions has been to create, to physically manifest another portal to Arcadia in Fairmont Park. Fairmont Park, being one of like the biggest wild areas in the city, has a very intense connection to Arcadia, to portals of the realms of fairies and also those of demons. That's where they kind of come through and enter this world, primarily in this area. And Iliana has always wanted to have a portal of her own making and completely under her control so that she can summon forth whatever she wills. But it's a task that requires a huge surge of magical energy, which she claims she's feeling now. She says... It's time for us to open the portal.
1: Queen, consider your dark clouds already gone. I'm being clever, sunshine. <laughs> um. Anyway, let me take care of that first thing first, and I'll meet you in the park later tonight before the moon is gone.
0: There's something else I need first. A promise from you to open the portal. You know, it requires a great deal of magical energy. We need, um... How shall I put this? An offering. To open a portal to any other plane, you need two such offerings. One from where you are, and one from where you wish to be. Don't worry about the, um... Fae offering. I have a subject that will make a mighty fine treat for the powers we wish to entreat in our work tonight, but... I do need an offering from the mortal plane, and that's where you come in. I need you to find someone, anyone, someone who won't be missed, that we can use to open this portal.
1: As like a show of sincerity, she like takes one of Ileana's hands in both of hers, and looks at her and says that everything will be taken care of, she said the word, and now she doesn't have to think of it.
0: I knew I could trust you. Um, alive, by the way. Is that all? Yes.
1: She, like, has been holding on to this nightshade flower, Ooh. and she imparts it with Eliana before leaving to find Simon.
0: Eliana takes this nightshade flower, and she smiles her lovely iridescent smile, and tucks it behind her ear, and she blows you a little kiss as you descend the metal staircase and leave the pounding swing music and dancers of the hardware store, and head to find Simon who, I mean, you probably know, spends a lot of time at night in the park. (laughs) So that might be a direction in which you head.
2: Susan has an alter ego, Simon, who she uses as her like delivery boy persona. So that's her.
0: That's her job, Sona.
2: Yeah, that's her job, Sona. That's how she pays the rent as Simon the delivery boy. And she's been Roman's drug dealer for a while. Yeah. So
1: I'm, I'm making my way over. I actually am one of, I think, the few people who know um, that Simon is Susan. Susan is Simon. I think you're the only person who knows. Only one. Oh, wow. I am very. I feel very honored. That's why you owe. That's why debts are involved. So I make my way over to the Naturalist Society. I'm like mostly familiar with their route. Um, and I'm starting to make that trail.
0: Nox, you are six feet under in the ground uh, just about finishing this shallow grave for this man you've never
3: met when a rifle shot unmistakable cracks in the air above you. That's not great, but... I mean, how close do I... Pretty close. Okay, I drag Mr. No Name into his shit-tier grave, and... (laughs) Couldn't even get a fucking good grave. (laughs) I hastily start shoving the dirt
0: back in You are filling in this grave as quick as you can, as quick as your thin, delicate bone hands can manage, when a imp flies into your little graveyard. Because it sees you in a demon form, it uh, assumes you are an allied force, and it kind of hides behind you and starts chittering at you in demon language. Which I
3: don't know if you speak. I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. Have I buried the body? You're, like, just finishing up. I'm probably scared by this thing. So my wings spread and I'm gonna take off.
0: Okay. Susan, you see up ahead the chittering increase. The impus are talking to someone and then you hear the huge whoosh and a rush of air and the sound of beating leathery wings as you see not the imp, but a huge human-sized demon clear the treetops and start flying north, northeast, back towards the neighborhood.
2: Ladies, Got a bigger problem on our hands. At the ready.
0: Joan Cox, a little pistol.
2: Great. I would like to take another shot at this large demon.
0: Nice. Okay, you should unleash an attack.
2: So I I rolled a (laughs) fourteen.
0: Maximum damage. Are you going to inflict terrible harm? You going to take something from them?
2: Can I take their flight? You
0: could say like I'm going to try to get the wing and like get it down. Mm -hmm. So how much harm are you dealing? Three. Three, and then you have an armor, so you're taking two harm, but this shot
3: is expertly aimed. It shoots your wings, and you start sailing down towards the ground. Well, I'm falling into the forest? Yeah. And presumably Susan is some distance behind me. Yep. She's probably moving in your direction. Uh, as soon as I hit the ground, I change back away from demon form when you change back how does that interact with the harm i'm not sure i also imagine i'm like half naked probably Uh... nice
0: okay the move doesn't say anything about it so i'm going to imagine that you are going to take your harm as normal you're going to be a human who was like
3: shot in the shoulder
2: Yeah, the demon form grants you that extra protection against harm, but your body still takes it.
3: So I hit the ground, I change away from demon form, I pull out my switchblade, and then slice wherever it was to make it look more like a gash caused from claws than a bullet. Oh, cool. Okay. Sorry, I would just do it with the claws. With your own claws, I would just like take oh, demon good. claws, yeah. bony claws, cut myself, like slash myself, so when I come back, it looks as if the same creature just slashed me. That's that's <laughs> foolproof. Okay.
0: <laughs> Susan, you and Joan and Nancy surge forward north on the hunt. You can feel the smell of demon blood in your nostrils. This is what you were made to do. You come across a human man writhing on the ground in the moonlight, with blood dripping from a claw wound.
3: Help!
2: Help! Oh my stars! Help me. I've run over, obviously, I definitely shot a demon. So I think I'm quite surprised to see you as like a person.
0: Should we take him back to the Naturalist Society? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? No, take
0: me to a hospital.
2: Well, why don't why don't we triage here? And because that that demon could still be out there. Move move your hand. I can't I can't see it.
3: Then I'm just going to try to not let you look at it and just do like the classic when you come close I'm like
2: oh, it <laughs> hurts <laughs> no. Nancy would you be so kind as to help this gentleman up
3: are you gonna let them take you back to the naturalist society if I'm playing the role of I have been eviscerated by a demon I'm not gonna be like it's cool walk it off uh, so, <laughs> I get a cup of water <laughs> Yeah. so I uh, if that's if that's what's happening that's 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 what's happening yeah
0: Okay, the other thing that's happening is that a young woman on a bicycle is pulling up having overheard the dulcet tones of a British demon hunter mere moments ago.
1: Oh, that's me.
0: Unless you canonically hate bicycles, in which case we can change that.
1: Well, I got thrown off because I, IRL, can't ride a bicycle, but it's fine. Role, Role playing. playing. <laughs> it's fine. Okay, so I'm, I'm riding my bike like a normal way, like I'm pedaling, and then I stop pedaling. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm
4: riding my bike like a bike rider. <laughs>
1: I arrive here, this is a shit show, right? Like
0: You see a bleeding out man who you, I think, canonically know a little bit.
1: Yeah, I know of him. Like We're not like besties.
0: You see that guy you know lying on the ground covered in blood. Susan and Joan and Nancy, who you're probably like, vaguely aware of, are trying to like help him up and take him back to the naturalist society. You came here to buy drugs. There's a lot going on.
2: Yeah. Are you... Are you- you guys okay over there? Can I talk to Susan? I think the sound of your voice startles me, and I think I trained my gun on you for a hot sec before I realize. <laughs> it, Whoa. It, it's you. Jesus, not a good time. Susan. Uh, yeah. Are you? Are you? Is everyone okay? Hmm. Not really. It's been a an active night in the park, you might say. This man needs medical attention where okay, I can help where are you guys going the the hospital or... oh darling no we can we can treat him back at the the naturalist society h q got it it's Knox, right yeah, can you uh walk? do you two know each other
1: kind of
3: sorry, what's your name again
1: it's Roman you You play, like, the...
3: I don't have time to talk about this right now. Okay, okay,
1: fair. Can you walk? Yes. Jeez. I kind of want to try to sacrifice Nox, because I think he's immortal. I know a shortcut through the park. I can walk with you.
3: I need to go to a hospital. I'm going to walk to a hospital. I
0: start walking. The women in the natural society strongly encourage you to come to the to the society to be tended there. And with the argument that these uh, mortal doctors won't know how to treat like demon wounds, like we have holy water. That's fine. I just am tired of bleeding out and dying on the ground. Unless you two intend to stop Knox from being taken to the natural society, unless you intend to resist being taken there. Yes, that's where we're going. That's where he goes. Sure, yes. Uh, He's brought in and he's laid down in one of the little cots there. And Joan and Nancy are happy to start uh, attending to him. Kitty, you head back up to the gala space. Everyone's gone now. The wait staff are cleaning up in the kitchen. There's no one here. The table has, like the food table has been stripped. It's kind of up to you to start packing up some of the art supplies and the printed materials, brochures, donation slips, all of that. So you, what, go about your work?
4: I think I'm going through making sure that I kind of dual multitasking on one hand, making sure that all the art that was bought is going to go to the person who bought it. And then I'm also looking for any sign of pixies or the creatures, Mm -hmm. like any sign of damage that is supernatural.
0: The sign of damage that you see is that as you are tidying up, one of the windows shatters. And uh, as in the vision that you had, a creature flies in, only it's just one of them uh and it's badly injured it looks like it's been shot in its wing it doesn't so much like soup and terrorize as like fly in and sort of like hit the other wall and kind of like bounce around and land on the floor with a high chattering whale ice cream yeah
4: i think i'll uh, cautiously walk up to this creature to see if i know what it is can i i can't psychometry a living
0: no i mean you know it's the creature from your vision for sure like that's clear enough I think the other kind of question is like, Kitty is a character who has like the least knowledge of the supernatural of the four of you, mm-hmm. but you are aware that it exists. You know you have supernatural powers and it's no stretch to believe that other things exist beyond just you. So I wonder what you've like seen or heard of like monsters or demons.
4: I think I have a more serious folk knowledge of that. Basically, I like believe in fairy tales.
0: I feel like your instincts might be cold iron or salt.
4: Okay, I'm gonna go run to the kitchen.
0: <laughs> you grab a box of salt. Grab
4: a box of salt and put it, pour it on the thing.
0: It's deeply injured. <laughs> I think you just get it. I think you pour this box of table salt on this demon, and um, its skin starts to like bubble and its screams become higher-pitched and distorted, and you don't know what to do, so you just keep, like, emptying more of the salt to try to, like, cover up the sound and the vision of its claws, like, kind of reaching up and opening and closing fruitlessly. Once the whole box of salt is on the floor and you throw it away in the corner and you kind of kick your foot at the pile, the pile disperses, and there's nothing in there.
4: I'm crying. Yeah. And I think i sweep it up and put it in the garbage gather myself go to the bathroom make sure i don't look like rattled or anything Mm -hmm. and call a car and get back to my apartment
0: at the naturalist society
1: susan is talking to roman okay well roman's thought process here is like if i can wrap this shit up and just come back later i'll get drugs later susan's really
2: obsessed with like making sure that every demon she sees goes down. So I think she's like upset and stewing about that and like writing notes about like what she saw because it got away and mm-hmm. that's not really a thing. And I think that gives you two an opportunity.
1: Yeah, sure. They've tended his wounds, there's the gauze there, right?
0: Yeah, I mean if you were like, uh don't look at my cool chest wound, they're not gonna like violate your bodily autonomy.
1: So they have you passed out and I try to pick you up by the arm a bit and say like, wow, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's uh, doing a lot better. He just needs to get some rest. I'll, I'll help him back. And I just like start walking out.
0: I just go with you. The two of you leave the naturalist society. I will say that with the tending of your wounds by Joan and Nancy, you can heal one harm. You'll still have like a lingering gunshot wound that troubles you but you won't need to worry about, like, actively bleeding out all the time. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure.
1: So as we're walking back, I'm going to, like, veer us through a path that takes us to where I know that Ileana already is. Okay.
0: You convince Nox, you know, a shortcut, or maybe he's just not paying enough attention to where he's going. You take him into an area that Ileana often uses for her kind of personal magics, and uh, as we approach the midnight hour, she is there with several of her cronies drawing complicated circles and symbols in the dirt, bathing ritualistically in the moonlight that pours in above. Nox, you seem to have entered a uh, mysterious fae ritual circle.
1: I would like to try to trick Jordan.
3: Uh, do I know what this is? Probably. You know it's not good. Sure. It's not your house. It's not my house. Uh, what, what is this?
1: Oh, well, I was walking you back, but actually, I think I know her. And then I call over to Ileana and Elliot so that they start approaching us.
3: This is so sketch that I'm just going to start to walk away unless you stop me.
1: I'm still holding on to you.
3: Let go of me.
1: No, no, it'll be a second. I'll I'll i bring you back in two seconds.
3: I'm okay, thank you. And
1: I think Ileana is now at pace with us. She's here.
3: Good evening, who might you be? Just leaving.
1: His name's Knox. He's a musician. You look like you're hurt, are you all right?
3: I'm fine. Th- I'm gonna try and pull away from you now completely. So you're gonna have to either, you know, restrain me and very make it very clear your intention, or, or I don't know.
1: Well, f- first, am I... Like, at this point, would Ileana and her, like, cronies not, like, descend upon
3: him?
0: They're starting to descend. The rest of the fae in this plan are starting to approach you not. Okay, what
3: is my vision? What's my read on this situation? Bad news bears get out now. Yeah, for sure. Okay. If you don't let me go now, I'm going to tell Susan about this.
1: I'm going to call your bluff.
3: Okay. Tell ah. her. Okay, so you're going to keep holding me still.
1: Yeah, because I All think right, you about I'm to
3: right, I'm time. All right, it's over. It's done. It's team time. Okay. Done. Uh, uh, nine. Nine? Yeah. Choose one of these options. Yes, but I'm also going to mark corruption to choose an extra one. <gasps> so that is heal two harm. So aren't I completely fine, though? I'll take the demonic weapon, which will just be a shape of the same thing as the, like, kind of tenderly bony hands, but they're, like, much thicker, much stronger, almost more maybe metallic in nature. Uh, and I I try and impale you with them. Okay, so you should unleash an attack. Ten. Okay,
0: so on a ten, you can inflict terrible harm, or you can take something from Roman.
3: I mean, I turn into it, and I put the claws all, like, kind of, because they're long and spindly, like, each five of my five fingers kind of make a saw, let's say saw three-like fixture around your head. But if I was to just club. My grip, it would presumably make you Swiss cheese. Yeah. And I'm probably, like, maybe even drawing blood, like, cutting into you already. Like, it's on your head.
0: Ileana's eyes widen, and she uh, looks at you with a newfound curiosity, knocks. How interesting. I don't think you'd suit our purposes tonight. Why don't we call this one a draw? We'll let you go peaceably. I want a debt from Ileana for not killing her. That's a great move in this situation, for sure. Ileana kind of rolls her eyes a little bit. It's only Roman, but there's no point seeing bloodshed tonight if the ritual's not going to work anyway. She draws close to you and pulls a nightshade flower out from behind her ear, and she kind of flirtily places it into your bone-claw-free hand. A promise from a fae is a powerful thing. Make sure you spend it wisely. Now withdraw your hand from my charge. Is that one debt? That's one debt. I guess I'll just revert back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's drawing on midnight. She doesn't have the sacrifice she needs, so she is um, not really interested in doing business with you further. She and her cronies kind of draw together in their group back at their like ritual area. Sort of leave you to your devices, Knox.
1: Weirdly, I think Roman like turned on respects it a little. Oh, okay. So she puts her hand out to shake with Knox. She doesn't think he's gonna take it, but she puts her hand out. It's
3: I'm like, gonna owe you a debt. Cause I want you to not ever say anything about this.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah, sure.
3: <laughs> Is that the handshake moment? <laughs> uh. I take my swish blade. I cut the palm of my hand.
1: I like think it's a little gross and I like hold my hand out. Like, I don't know if you want to cut my hand as well. Is that how this works?
3: Yes, I cut your hand.
1: Okay, we shake nice. hands. Nice, I love it. I think, yeah roman responds well i think she was kind of like i don't know here's this like mortal dude fuck mortals cause havoc and now she's like oh kind of like a kindred spirit okay sorry about that
0: you definitely see like a huge change in her demeanor as soon as you reveal yourself to not be a random schlub which i am not which Uh, uh, so i owe you one
1: great love to be owed
0: Ileana decides to um, retreat to her headquarters and figure out a plan for another day as she packs up her mystical belongings or orders her lackeys to. You catch her watching you, Roman, with a cold, contemplative glance. She's disappointed in how badly you fucked up tonight. Nox, you turn back into Dude Man? Yeah, I I was Dude Man. All the powers of the dude, all the style of a man? Yes. And you um, kind of, I think, like, bunch up your jacket around yourself. You're like, everyone in this park is a fucking lunatic. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh you um, stumble. Yeah, what the fuck? What a night. Back to your uh, cafe. It's closed now, so you take the back door, head up the long winding stairs into your room, which still, unfortunately, smells faintly of rotten eggs as you uh, head into a fitful, uncomfortable birthday sleep. Hey, everybody, it's Jesse here. Thanks for listening to the first episode of our new Urban Shadows campaign. I've got a few quick show notes. First of all, Urban Shadows is a Powered by the Apocalypse game created by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz-Truman published by Magpie Games. You can learn more about Urban Shadows at magpiegames.com. If you're new to Many Realms, welcome to the show! We are an actual play podcast based in Toronto, Canada. We like exploring a variety of RPG systems, and our campaigns are on the shorter side, so you don't have to commit to 90 episodes just to know what's going on. We also offer full transcripts for each episode, which you can access via our social pages, which are all at the Realms Cast, or directly on our website, therealmscast.com. In conjunction with the beginning of this campaign, we are also launching a Patreon page. We love making this show, and if you love listening to it, please consider supporting us. We have lots of great pledge tiers on our page and fantastic rewards, including DM notes from yours truly for each and every episode of this campaign. So check it out at patreon.com slash therealmscast. Lastly, keep an eye out for a bonus episode from us this week. We are playing Mall Kids by Matthew Gravelin. Uh, in conjunction with the Mall Kids Kickstarter as part of Zine Quest this February. So that will show up on your feeds pretty soon, and we'll be back with the next episode of Urban Shadows in two weeks. See you then.